0: Presbyterians Protecting Life is happy to welcome y'all to our seminar. God's standards don't change, though the customs and laws surrounding all life issues, from abortion to euthanasia, are changing daily. PPL wants to help pastors and churches get up to speed to equip themselves and their congregations to champion human life in the most urgent civil rights movement in 160 years and to follow God's law and will. I'm Dr. Patty June. I'm a pediatrician from South Georgia who has served on the board of Presbyterians Protecting Life since 1986. And I will be joined either by Reverend Matt Stitt, who's an EPC pastor from Round Hill in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania, or by, Dr. by Reverend Andy Scott, EPC pastor of First Pres, Bentleyville, Pennsylvania, who is currently en route. <laughs> and we plan to conclude with um, time for discussion. <coughs> Most theologically conservative denominations think their members are pro-life. Thankfully, the EPC, PCA, and ECO have strong pro-life statements in their foundational documents. In contrast to PCUSA denominational offices proudly, loudly proclaiming abortion as a necessary, necessary good, but in reality, most local churches are pretty evenly divided. The pro-life statements don't trickle down to the minds and lives of the members. A nineteen I mean a 2015 survey of PCA members showed that half, half their members um, believed abortion, shouldn't be restricted at all. (coughs) You know, that's not much better than the 57% of PCUSA members that are pro-abortion. 23% of post-abortive Christian women self-identified as evangelical, and 45% of them attended church during the month before their abortion. While regular church attendance does make a difference, it halves the abortion rate. Still, 10% of the children of regular church attendees are aborted. There's an enormous avoidance of this topic, coupled with general and willful ignorance. How many of y'all have preached, or in person, I don't mean online, in person heard sermons that seriously engaged the topic of abortion both from a perspective acknowledging sin and from god's redeeming love for the confessing sinner. more than the aborting woman is impacted her parents friends siblings current and future children the father of the baby her future husband they're all members of your church who are, impo- who are impacted. Have you addressed avoiding situations that may lead to temptation and the risk of abortion? Many Christians believe there's nothing they can do about this kind of entrenched social evil. So no need to act or educate themselves. But having no opinion or an opinion that condones abortion, in reality is saying, I don't care about the youngest members of the human family. I am not in favor of equal rights for all human beings. It's up to the pastors and elders to change this attitude, starting from this seminar. There's nearly unanimous agreement among physicians, medical ethicists, even professional pro-abortion spokesmen that the unborn are human beings. So the question we face is, who counts as one of us? Which leads to the pro-life syllogism. It's morally wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being which virtually all civilized cultures and societies oppose murder and agree on this. Abortion <clears throat> intentionally kills an innocent human being, which is scientifically and objectively true. Therefore, abortion is wrong. It's that simple. Now, it's critical for those who speak from the church, both pastors and members, to acknowledge the difficult and sometimes tragic circumstances of peripheral issues, such as rape and incest, birth anomalies, poverty, etc. These need to be addressed, but they are not the foundational issue. Knowing the science may enable pro-life belief, it did for me when I was a teenager, But only the church can magnify and proclaim the image of God in every human being, regardless of size, development, environment, or dependency. Um, This is a complicated slide, which I'm not going to read. I made up a handout, uh, which I think I forgot to bring in the room and make copies of, for those it's not in those handouts and we'll let them pick the handouts out up on the way out it's not included in that handout but basically the old and new testament the church most of the medical and legal community were pro-life until the 1970s the slippery slope began earlier with the eugenics movement it was expanded by False compassion for children with birth defects—you know, better dead than imperfect—and um, then the erosion of the authority of scripture, um, the family, the rise of the sexual resolution revolution, and the rise of me-firstism. That's my term. In 1973, the Supreme Court decided there was a right to privacy in the Constitution, and truly, the Ninth Amendment reserves unenumerated rights to the people, but the court ignored the inalienable right to life listed as the very first right in the Declaration of Independence. Therefore, it ruled that abortion could only be limited by health standards in the second three months of pregnancy, like clinic sanitation rules, or limited after viability. Unless, of course, a woman said that the pregnancy would adversely affect her health, health including social issues so broadly defined as to make all abortion permissible. Now, viability. Um, Technically, it's the ability to survive, which most unborn babies have, if you leave them in the womb (laughs) until term. But when you discuss abortion, or when we physicians um, talk about women in premature labor, we use viability to indicate if a baby will survive if born right then. At what odds? 20%. 80%? 50%? What's viability? Um, It varies with medical technology. You know, a baby born in 1973 and a baby born in 2023 do not have the same viability limits. Are they born in the level 4 NICU or are they born in the African bush? Are they born in a hospital where the NICU personnel, the obstetricians, resuscitate all babies because the ones at the edge of viability are not gonna make it if you don't resuscitate them. What's the attitude of the staff and what's the experience of the staff? Um, Viability is a moving target. Today, a baby born in the 21st week will rarely survive. Some have. Um, But in Iowa, over half those born at 22 weeks survive. Now, four years ago, Mississippi banned abortion after 15 weeks gestation, and the court immediately blocked the law pending a Supreme Court decision on its constitutionality, which we, maybe it'll come out Monday. We're expecting it any time. When an insider leaked a draft opinion that five justices will vote to overturn Roe versus Wade, we've had nonstop violence against the court, the justices. I've heard here in Michigan two pregnancy care centers just in the last day or two have been windows smashed and damaged. Um, Even churches have been desecrated. While photos like the scarred back of the beaten slave or the dismembered parts of a second trimester aborted baby have shock value that may get the attention of some people, you know, we also care about all babies and their well-being from the time of fertilization. One controversy, I mean, one interesting way that abortion advocates currently dehumanize prenatal humans is by insisting on only using medical terminology, zygote, embryo, fetus, to refer to them. Now, these are all perfectly legitimate medical terms to describe different developmental stages. and. I am as comfortable using those terms as I am baby and child. I use them interchangeably. Um, Note that English, like Hebrew and Greek, the words that refer to prenatal humans also refer to postnatal young children. Brephos in Greek, child, baby in English, you know, these are okay to use before birth yet abortion advocates are not consistent. They don't refer to a pregnant woman by the medical term of gravita. So that makes it clear that dehumanization rather than medical accuracy is their goal. And I wonder for all the talk about reproductive rights, where are the reproductive rights of these never born children who were killed prior to puberty? References to the age of prenatal humans can appear in conflict because of different starting points. Um, Obstetricians go from last menstrual period, which is about two weeks prior to conception or fertilization. Um, (coughs) So the embryonic period lasts until the end of organ development, which is eight weeks after the sperm fertilizes the egg when the woman is 10 weeks pregnant. It can be very confusing, and what can look like it's in conflict may just be different terminology, different time things. Um, Then you've got the conception controversy. Conception traditionally referred to fertilization. You know, the beginning. But in the 60s, obstetrical literature arbitrarily changed the meaning of conception and the beginning of pregnancy to mean implantation, thereby claiming that some drugs don't cause abortion. You know, even if they starve the embryo that they prevent from implanting in the uterus. Uh, Think of the morning after pill. Now, other things that you're going to need to know working with your congregation. Abortion's a red flag word, but medically, you have induced abortion and you have spontaneous abortion. Um, Induced abortion, or frequently we will just use the term abortion, is actively killing the baby. Uh, They also euphemistically call it termination or therapeutic abortion, as if there's something beneficial to it. But when a baby dies of natural causes before 20 weeks gestation, it's known as a spontaneous abortion or miscarriage. And when women have a miscarriage and they see spontaneous abortion on their medical records, they can freak out. Um if the baby doesn't sorry if the body doesn't expel this baby it's known as a missed abortion or if it's only partially expelled it's an incomplete abortion and when this occurs you have to get the dead baby out or the rest of the baby out because it'll set up infection or cause bleeding um and they use a sharp instrument to scrape out the uterus to get rid of it. A curette in a procedure known as dilation and curette, DNC, dilation and curetage. Well, dilation and curettage is also a method of surgical abortion. So when you see that somebody's had a DNC, it may mean that she's had an abortion, but it might not mean that. And medically, we put both the diagnosis and we put the procedure. Both of those have to be listed when you're doing coding. So you can tell the difference because the diagnosis is going to be different. Um, But again, that's a trap and it's an emotional trap. Um, Now, if The fetus dies before birth, but after 20 weeks, it's called an inner uterine fetal death. And again, that's not an abortion. Um, But it can be painful to those who've lost a very wanted baby due to natural causes. Um, We do need to be informed I'm going to briefly go over various methods used in induced abortion in as non-gory a ma- manner as possible. And I took out all the drawings and pictures and stuff. We didn't have pictures, but we had drawings. Yes? Um, so I've seen on social media
1: quite a bit where women who have experienced spontaneous abortion and miscarriage have said that no. if they had those experiences after Roe v. Wade is overturned, that they feel like they would have been prevented from being able to get a DNC to, to fix that. But that's not, that's
0: true not true at all. Okay. No, that's not true. Um, the first method, the newest method, and by now the most common method is the abortion pill. Uh, I call it a chemical abortion. Technically, it's a medical abortion. Um, It consists of two drugs that are taken two days apart. The first drug, RU486, mifepristone, um, interferes with placental attachment. And the second one causes the uterus to contract, and in fact, is used to induce labor at term in a therapeutic manner. Um, If only the first pill is taken, on an average 25% of babies will survive. If you give a woman huge doses of progesterone and progesterone is the hormone that, Uh, RU486 interferes with. It's like a fake progesterone. It attaches to the receptors, and then there's no way for the progesterone to attach to the receptors. So what they do is they give huge doses of progesterone to wash out the RU486. And by doing this, like the day after the first pill is taken...
2: Is this when a woman has changed her mind?
0: Yes. 67% of babies can be saved, and there have been over a 1,000 babies saved so far. Um, Abortionists will tell you you can't do it. These are all lies. You know, I have personally been involved in in one of these abortion pill reversals. Um, All right, I've got to see where I am because I'm— I'm skipping ahead. Okay. <clears throat> With COVID, safety restrictions regarding medical supervision were abandoned in using these pills. Not the progester, not the reversal, I'm talking about the chemical abortions. So these women, women are at risk for an undiagnosed ectopic pregnancy. Because the pills will not solve an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and that's a life-threatening situation in a mom. Normally, if a woman has a miscarriage, we check her for RH factor. And if she's RH negative, then we give ROGAM so her future children, if they're RH positive, will not suffer from antibodies that she makes. If she orders these things mail-order, do you think anybody's checking for RH? Um, Or STDs, do you think anybody's checking her to see if she's got infections? No. (coughs) And hemorrhage is an issue with or without medical supervision. Uh, A significant number of these women do have hemorrhages and uh, several percent of them need transfusions. Um, I'm belaboring this not only because there are moral implications of any abortion, but because anybody can order this. Guys can avoid the responsibility of a child They order it online, and they slip it in their girlfriend's food or drink. You know, she may not want an abortion. Um, Internet orders from India or pro-abortion states can get around your state's pro-life laws. The later in gestation you take this, the more hemorrhage there is, Well, originally it was only used till seven weeks, then it was used to nine weeks. And you hear stories way farther that have been done with the mail-order stuff.
2: So we're still talking about the chemical portion? Yes. Yeah, I thought
3: originally it was just like for a few hours after intercourse or something.
0: Now that's the morning after pill. And that is different. Um, The morning after pill interferes with implantation when it works. A lot of the time it doesn't work. Um, It will also interfere with ovulation, but only if you time it just right. You know, if somebody has ovulated Before, in a few hours before intercourse, that egg is sitting right there and it takes five minutes for the sperm to work their way up the tube. Um, No pill is going to prevent fertilization. What it does is slow the movement back through the tube of the embryo and interfere with implantation. Um, But that's a different medication or drug. I don't really like calling it a medication. (sighs) Um, The later in gestation that the chemical abortion is taken, the more likely you're going to have an incomplete abortion and need a follow-up DNC or surgical abortion. And then you've got all the risks that you've got with the surgical as well as the risk that you had with the chemical, including premature birth in future children. Um, Over half the US abortions in 2020 were chemical abortions. And that may be why the abortion rate has risen in the last three years, or part of the reason. Um, I'll mention it later, or maybe I'll skip it, but Illinois changed their Medicare rules, and their abortion rate went up 25 percent. Write down this phone number. Where's the phone number? write down this phone number <laughs> um, so that if somebody needs it you can give it to them make sure your church has it in the church office you know pastors put it in your phone um, again this is very time dependent you have to do it within like 24 to 48 hours and before the second pill is taken. The first pill does not cause birth defects. The second pill does. And if they've taken the second pill, it can't be reversed. Some people wonder why pro-life education sometimes contains graphic images. A woman who sees ultrasound of her unborn child often changes her mind about aborting her child. Likewise, graphic images can sometimes change people's minds. Since they are hard to see, we often intentionally avoid learning the truth. Surgical abortions. Um, with Surgical abortions. First, the cervix is dilated, and then the embryo or fetus and placenta are torn apart either with strong suction or a sharp curette, or with forceps that grab and tear the limbs off and then crush the thorax and head. And the really gory pictures are when those are done because they have to lay them out to make sure that they got everything out. Um, that The procedures, a lot like drawing and quartering, you know, used to be a way that they would uh, kill really bad criminals by cutting them up while they were still alive. It was outlawed as cruel and unusual punishment long time ago. Um, early on The dilation is done right at the time of abortion with increasing size of metal rods that will take the opening from the um, size of the inside of a ballpoint pen to about the size of my little finger, about a centimeter. Um, As you get farther along, that's not big enough and they use these sticks of dried seaweed called laminaria. And they'll put them in and have the person come back the next day. They gradually absorb water, which dilates stuff. And for really late abortions, it may be they come back for two or three days and, you know, spend several days dilating the cervix. Well, here is another thing when the mother can change her mind. Um, they Abortionists will tell them they can't do it. We have a personal experience in PPL with this. When somebody called our phone number that was on our website, um, a girl frantic because her sister had had the laminaria put in and she changed her mind and they told them we can't take them out. You know, sorry, too late. And we were able to get in contact with a physician in the area where she lived, who met her at the emergency room, took them out, and her baby survived. Um, What about pain? Uh, Connections to the thalamus, which is the brain's pain center, start forming about eight weeks and are well-formed by 12 weeks. People will argue, oh, you need the cortex. Connections to the cortex haven't formed. But people whose cortex has been severed still feel pain. You know, adults do. They have found that, no, it's the thalamus that is really needed for pain, not the cortex. Even some pro-abortion folks have written a paper Um, published on this a chemical abortion late one causes um, like a heart attack surgical abortion rips the fetus apart both of these are very painful now three-fourths of abortions occur by eight weeks which is before you would have any pain but those later you're gonna have pain especially like the 63,000 every year that are done after 13 weeks. Oh, it's only 6 or 7 percent, but 6 or 7 percent times nearly a million comes out to an awful lot. Um, Other abortion methods include inducing labor. If they don't want the um, fresh fetal tissue for experimentation they might inject the baby's heart with digoxin ahead of time so they don't have the complication of a live birth or they can let the baby be born alive and just set it to the side until it dies um, because babies at 16 weeks I mean I took care of one once it lived for about half an hour um, or, oh, we're going to let the parents hold this baby that they've just decided to kill so they can say goodbye to it. Um, when they want the tissue, when they're selling them to research labs like University of Pittsburgh and some places out in California that we're paying for with our NIH taxpayer dollars, they will try not to rip the baby completely apart. They may do a partial birth abortion, even though it's illegal, or they may do a labor induction. And it's been documented that they've cut up babies while their heart's still beating. Okay, hard cases, rape and incest. You know, the awful crime of rape and incest involves two victims. We no longer apply the death penalty to the perpetrator, just to the innocent victim. Killing the child doesn't repair the violence. You know, Scripture says you shall not kill a son for the sins of his father. We've learned that the pregnant victims of rape do better psychologically if they give birth whether they raise the child or make an adoption plan. Life of the mother. You know, to me, this is the one theoretical, um, legitimate reason for an abortion. But in reality, given modern medicine, except for ectopic pregnancies, which I'll get back to, there's no need to kill the baby if the fetus is mature enough to have a chance of survival you deliver the baby and you try and save both baby and mother Um, you're not going to save all of them but you you try Um, if the embryo or fetus is too immature to survive and the mother's so critical that she's going to die right away well there's no way to save the baby So theoretically it would be okay, but in practical terms it's not needed. Uh, We now can, you know, help a mother carry a pregnancy up to the time of at least a chance of viability in really all pregnancies. Um, Ectopic pregnancy, again, that's a little different. When the baby implants in the tube, rather than in the uterus, the tube will only stretch to about a two-month size. At that point, either the tube ruptures, the baby dies, the mother could bleed to death, but the baby can't live longer than that. So if the baby hasn't already died naturally, then either it is surgically removed or sometimes a chemical is given that causes the baby to die. Um, But this is done to save the life of the mother. And the intent is not to kill the baby, the intent is to save the life of the mother. (coughs) Um, With birth anomalies, You know, others are evaluating a human's worth and exercising power over that person. God is the potter. By the way, most disabled children rate their quality of life as good, even in the worst cases where a child can't survive outside the uterus for more than a few minutes, like anencephaly. It's a comfort for patients to know that they love their child for as many days as God gave them rather than actively shortening the child's life. Um, So it's better to go ahead and naturally deliver the baby and, you know, then the baby dies. Um, An excuse of poor social situation implies death is preferable to poverty, foster care, or other social hardship. You know, the Christian response is, we need to improve the social situation, not kill the child we need to surround the child and family with love and with practical support. (coughs) Um, Another fallacy, you will hear that abortion is safer than pregnancy. That's not true. Studies from Finland, Denmark, California Medicaid that follow women out for up to 10 years and they match records, (coughs) have found that a woman who has an abortion is more likely to die every one of those years than a woman who gives birth. Why? Some of it is, quote, natural causes, cardiac causes. Think of the stress involved with an abortion. Uh, maybe that's why and a lot of it is things like suicide or homicide drug and alcohol abuse you know these are responses to abortion and you have higher rates of all of these post-abortion when you look at abortion deaths if a woman commits suicide two years after her baby was due to be born Is she going to be listed as an abortion death? No. Um, So a lot of your stats are just plain wrong. Um, There are long-term benefits to pregnancy. Actually, women who've given birth have higher survival rates than women who were never pregnant. And miscarriages go along about with the um, never pregnant rate. Uh, I drew up this graph because I couldn't find one. I've seen it, but I couldn't find it. In 1933, there were about 2,677 recorded deaths from abortion. That includes spontaneous abortion as well as induced abortion. By 1945, it had dropped to 888. Why? Penicillin. Antibiotics. Um, abortions before Roe versus Wade were mainly performed by physicians and again it was penicillin that made the big difference. Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who founded the National Abortion Rights Action League, confessed that he made up the number of abortion deaths at five to 10,000, quote, to be more shocking and influence the public in the court, unquote, unquote. And later stated that the deaths were actually in the low 300s. Um, other places I found mid 200s for the 1950s and 1960s. The last year before Roe versus Wade, 1972, the CDC recorded 63 deaths from abortion. 40% of them were from legal abortion. Now, a caution. When they do linkage studies, and this is what I had just been referring to, um, and they actually really look into all death reports, they found that most abortion-related deaths and a lot of childbirth-related deaths also were not correctly coded and were not coded as those type of... They were all missed. Um, Some other surprising factors and so on. Most women get abortions, whether it's a five-week abortion, a 25-week abortion, early or late term, because they think they don't have enough support. You know, lack of family support or support from the father. Some folks routinely use abortion as birth control. Many teens and young women get pregnant while they're using, inconsistently, contraceptives. And of course, we know only abstinence is 100% effective. Teens are the least likely to get pregnant, but if they do get pregnant, they have the highest abortion risk. But most abortions are done on women in their 20s, especially those who are cohabitating. Our question to pastors and elders, are we preparing our youth for life after high school? Are we teaching them about God's design for sex and marriage? Um, does your church have young singles or college age? Again, your college age, that's the big risk time. Way more risk then than in the teens. Abortionists target black women. <laughs> What's racist? Is racist trying to save black babies or is racist insisting that they need to be killed? Um, nominal Christians are at average risk. Non-believers at higher risk, uh, nearly double. And as I mentioned, weekly church attendance cuts risk in half. So only one out of 10 babies is aborted to weekly church attenders. You know, figure at least 10 percent of your congregation have been impacted by the evil of abortion. Probably more. Um, I'm coming up with some predictions. Uh, I don't foresee back alley abortions if Roe is—yes?
1: Um,
0: as a part of
1: my session, I have asked my session to approve a life team. Uh huh. Um, I'm getting a lot of pushback from the elders of my church who are saying that that's not an issue that impacts our church. Um, so, like, how can obviously that statistic would help? But I mean, curious if you have other other ways I can support my argument. I, I think do you no think offense it's to anyone here? I think it's dads who have teenage daughters who don't want to think that this is something that could happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is there might be people in the church
3: who have a relative or somebody that's not directly connected to the church that's impacted by that. Right.
0: I mean, yeah. It's not just necessarily somebody in the church. That's true. <coughs>
1: Right, my and throat.
0: You probably have, and you may have a lot of older women who've had abortions. You know, they they may have had them 40-50 years ago, and they still haven't dealt with it. Sort of like Yeah. The support, also
1: the those have right. And show love to them. So what was the light to Um We would like to have kind of a two-pronged approach. So one, just be available for um, anyone in the congregation who um, finds themselves pregnant or has
0: girlfriends
1: mm-hmm. or herself pregnant. Um, that they could come to and talk to that's the safe
0: space. Yes. Um, and the other
1: part would be supporting pregnancy decision health centers um, and a foster care organization in our community. So we provided this support network.
4: Yeah.
0: And very much needed. And you know, I hear about, well, Why are you against abortion when we've got all these kids in foster care? Well, most of the foster care folks are older kids that have had multiple adverse childhood effects and are already psychologically damaged. Being a foster parent to those children is not something that is easy or that all parents are capable of.
4: So, Patty, June, just one question? I, I remember back in the day when I was on the board, uh, we had a plethora of literature uh, on our website on, on issues just like that. How does a local congregation to support a local pregnancy Center, how do you yeah. in, the, in the congregation <clears throat> so with members who have gone through this? I know we used to have a curriculum that, uh, that we used to have. Somebody
0: had asked me about the curriculum. Uh, that was one that Terry did that was on video. Right. And it's long since been out of print, and I don't know where it is. I, personally, I don't like our new web- website as far as, oh, okay. as well as the old one. I found the old one much easier to navigate.
3: <laughs> Our church has started uh, a program called Embrace Grace. We didn't like found it. We are participating, and it's a group out of Dallas that anybody can get their material. That they have curriculum. They have like a plan for running these support groups for young single pregnant women. And we're trying real hard to reach out to the community. We're, we're just now, we're just now getting started. We're going around all the schools, and so I and all the pregnancy centers, and just letting them know that we have this to uh, to do that. We did, we tried to start a group last spring, and I say try because we had at different times, like three
0: women, and
3: it it's just, it's a, different kind of thing than we thought, right? So the curriculum from Embrace Grace starts from a place of,
0: oh, you're in this
3: shameful, horrible position. And Mm -hmm. we're here to tell you that we're going to support you and help you. And you don't have to be ashamed. And God loves you and he forgives you. Okay. Mm -hmm. These women are like, we're not ashamed. This is, Mm -hmm. this is what we do. It's fine, right? And so we found that the, the curriculum is good. It has a lot of good stuff, but that part of it doesn't even really fit. We mm. kind of move move past that. No, nobody's ashamed. They're, they're mm. fine
0: with it. out there. I'm proud of my yeah, abortion.
3: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so. You know, you know, it's just, I feel like we're at a weird place where we're having to sort of pivot from historical kind of concepts about what's going on to current things going on that, that we don't even really understand totally. At least in my congregation, we're a little bit a step back from that. So it's it's been very eye-opening and we're trying to think through, you know, okay, do we stay with the Embrace Grace? Do we sort of do our own thing that's a fit? And how do we, you know, how do we serve these people? How do we provide that resource that we can support them through their pregnancy, whether they're going to keep the baby or adopt it. We, you know, part of the embrace grace thing is you, show, you throw them a baby shower, and you would do that either way. It would be a personal shower they're going to adopt or whatever. But, um, I mean, it's a good program, but it just it kind of blew my mind that even though it's a pretty recent program, already we're finding you know, this whole different mindset out there. Oh, nice. mm. I just
0: throw that out.
4: Uh, yeah, thank you. Right.
0: Yeah. So that's helpful. Um, I don't see back alley abortions if Rose overturned. I think legal abortions will increase in pro abortion states, especially in those that are promoting abortion tourism, offering financial incentives. Um in inst- Pro abortion states that border pro life states. And I think legal abortions will become even more unsafe than they are now. It's not that illegal ones will be more unsafe um, because some of these states are doing away with any regulations whatsoever, so there are no clinic safety regulations. You know, so that's going to make legal abortions more unsafe. Um, You know, some women who want abortions will travel to states where it's legal. Their business may even pay for it. Um, Some will use the mail-order chemical abortions that are hard to regulate. There may be some looking for illegal surgical abortions, and if there are You know, I think that'll be just like before Roe when it was physicians doing them in their offices. You know, no different than your legal ones. Um, And then, hopefully, prayerfully, more women will decide to keep their babies and abortions will decrease. And we all know that California is now trying to legalize abortion. I mean, infanticide up to four weeks after birth. Perinatal period goes until 28 days. Um, Do we want to be counted in these countries? North Korea, China, etc. I'm going to turn this over to our pastors now that I've used most of their time.
5: <laughs> A few months ago. Uh, my name's Andy Scott, this is Matt Stith, Suzanne Zantella. Uh, we have the historical accident of all having been within about 10 miles of each other at one point or another. But uh, we're all uh, teaching elders. And how many uh, How many teaching elders? Any teaching elders? Ruling elders? Everybody else? Okay, good. Now you get to go home. And pester your pastor, and I say that with with great affection because somebody has to. Hey, Matt. Yes, sir. Do you like talking about abortion in public? Not so much. Not so much, Matt. Exactly. So here's a dirty secret about your pastor. Your pastor wants to get along with people. Your pastor wants to be liked. Your pastor doesn't want people to be angry at him or her. This is a really good way to get people angry at you. But it's important. And it's going to be really, really important for you, absolutely, to be that support and that prod. I can promise you that if enough people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, we really need to talk about a a biblical view of whatever it is. I'm going to consider that. You know, I'll, I'll say, well, you know, we haven't talked enough about that. I need to talk about that. Um, so there you go. That's your that's your assignment. Is and, and some of you are doing it, and that's fantastic. But it is really, really important because if I wish we were all. Suzanne here is a uh, is a courageous woman, and uh, she will she will fight the good fight no matter what. I'm a wuss. <laughs> and. And and consequently, I do. I I can't speak for anybody else, but I need somebody periodically to tell me to talk about the things that, you know, if I could avoid, I might. It's true. Um, All of the things that have been said are absolutely true. You are sitting in uh, congregations full of people who have been directly affected uh, by abortion. You have also, you're also, and I think, I don't think this should be separated. You're also sitting in congregations where the majority of women have suffered miscarriages. Um the, the bit about um, the diagnosis on the, uh, on a miscarriage, that, that's my wife. All right. I mean, that's, she was sent home from the doctor with a paper saying that she had had an abortion and she lost it. And just be prepared for that kind of thing. Um, but absolutely, Matt here has a little pad. He's he's sketched down some 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 suggestions for us, and um, and then I was going to just um, yeah. So go ahead, Matt, do your thing. Here, wear this. I
6: think I have to wear the thing.
5: Uh, you have to wear the thing.
6: I'm not wearing the things with Andy Scott. That's a step too far.
5: <laughs> Matt's a Bengals fan. We can forgive him.
6: You're in the wrong state for that to be nearly as bad as it is in Pennsylvania. Whatever.
5: <laughs> okay, go.
6: <laughs> all right so none of this is none of this is shocking or surprising right we are we're in a situation we're, we're facing hope hopefully God willing. yeah hopefully we're facing a sort of an a, a shift in the context of the whole discussion about about abortion in our culture in our country and in our churches
5: but it's gonna be harder on you
6: yeah yeah I, I said a shift I, yeah. I didn't say this this isn't gonna make it easier um, but the first, the first, pe- the first couple of things that churches need to be doing, in our, our opinion, are not different than the things the church is supposed to have been doing for the last oh, two thousand years, two thousand years, give or take. take. Yeah. Um, first of all, a pro-life church needs <laughs> to be praying. Needs to be praying publicly.
5: Yes.
6: In worship. Out loud. Out loud, for the end of abortion, and. Right alongside it in the same breath, for the end of all the circumstances that lead people to seek it. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's you can't. You can't. I mean, I don't know how many. How many of you do some sort of sidewalk ministry, whether it's 40 days for life or something like that? Right. Some of you have been out there. You know, we wear signs. Um, and I always, you know, when we get there to, to do a shift on the on the vigil, we there's a whole bin of signs you can rummage through. At least our place, you can rummage through and pick one. Right? And I always look for the one that says pray pray to end abortion, but I keep waiting for them to put in, and all the stuff that makes people want them. And that's what I have to talk about to people on the sidewalk, because you do the one without the other, and you're, we're living into the stere- all of the bad stereotypes that, that people have about pro-life Christians.
5: You're also not loving the, anybody involved.
6: Really, that's right. Yeah. So. That's something that your church needs to be doing. And guess what, as I, as I frequently remind my session members and others, um, it's not just pastors who are called to pray in public in church. If you're a Presbyterian elder, guess what? You are not only qualified, but basically called and required. You should also preach. Yes, you should, but that's, that's, another, dis- <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's another, that's another one. bridge too far for this one. That's, <laughs> but he's not wrong. I'm not wrong. Um, <laughs> But yeah, anybody, everybody here should be willing to stand up, in in the you know in the appropriate context and pray, this pray, these prayers. I mean Nobody that's. Nobody
5: gets mad at you when you pray, by the way. That's I mean that's worth saying. Nobody ever has ever come up to me after a service and said I hated that prayer. That's true. Yeah.
6: The thing that they will come up to you and say they hated, <laughs> is what. The sermon. <laughs> the sermon and that's the next thing that still has to have has to be happening in a pro-life church which should be all churches incidentally but that's you know uh, pr- the church's proclamation has to include this now do I mean that all of us have to go and say we're doing a sermon series on abortion no
5: actually don't advertise yeah that, really no. that's a bad idea <laughs> No.
6: but the point is you don't have to look very hard scripture offers Roughly speaking, like six billion different opportunities. To uh, I'm also a pastor who likes to round up, just like uh, yeah, just like our speaker. Um, six billion different opportunities to preach about the sanctity of life, about yeah. the image of God, about all of the fundamental underpinnings of our pro-life convictions.
5: And it is a much bigger it's a much bigger issue because the, the great I I am convinced that the the great battle of the 21st century is going to be. The fight against the commodification of human beings. Yes. Mm -hmm. Human beings are treated as instruments, they're treated as commodities, they're treated as anything other than individuals made in the image and likeness of God and valued at the cost of the Son of God, his own life. You know, so uh, that if every chance you get to tell people that human beings are good, not morally, but like as a, you know, anyway.
6: Yeah. (laughs) They're valuable. That
5: they're valuable. Yes.
2: I'm going to hit on that one right now because we're Christians are Christians can be despised in this world for what we are against and sometimes what we need to do is know and speak of what we are for that's right so I find myself speaking against abortion less then I spend speaking for the value of every human life from conception to natural death, also, and that's the phrase I use.
5: Also, in your churches, fawn on babies. <laughs> Seriously.
2: Yeah, well, that, that too.
5: Oh yeah, that's I know that's a dumb dumb aside, but it's it's important because because everybody's convinced that anyway. Yeah. If you,
6: if you wanna, if you want to if you want to illustrate our inst- the instinctive our instinctive sense of the value of life, yeah. Just have somebody. Somebody has their baby chattering away in the middle of church. How many of the how many people are looking at you, and how many I'm at me, and how many people are looking at the baby, right? It's I right there. I talk to the baby. I, I do that too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, as was mentioned earlier, um, the church as part of our proclamation is also our teaching ministry. Right. Our preachers are teaching elders, and teaching. Our, our teaching ministry has to include, as, as, uh, as we were just told, teaching about sex and marriage and parenthood and all of that stuff. I mean, we don't, we don't get to just jump in to the, to, the, to the hot political issue without having done the hard work of laying the groundwork and then expect anybody to be changed by anything we say.
5: Also, in, in, along the lines of encouraging your pastors, I,
6: do you appreciate how much
5: you actually pick up? Like, I, this is something that I have only recently learned is that people actually listen to me. Well, some of them. Some of them. Some of them. Not you. No, not, but, no. <laughs> but people actually listen. And, I, and so I've now I've been in my congregation for 18 years. Yes, I was 12 when I arrived. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, actually, dead seriously, uh, dead, dead serious right here. Uh, Matt was born one year before Roe vs. Wade I was born three years after one third of us are missing oh, yeah. um, but I have I have now been around long enough that I hear people say well I heard someone once say and they'll tell me something like, that was me <laughs> <laughs> but that's great that's because so somewhere somewhere along the line there was actual teaching done and and that's the whole point point. and so if you can if you can encourage your pastors um, this is not something, you don't wake up next week and say, yeah, you know, I'm going to convince everyone of the uh, sanctity of human life. No, you spend the next 30 years doing it. And then you do it for 20 years after that because it takes that long. But eventually you have people who appreciate it.
6: Yeah, exactly. And so we've talked about, and, and we're kind of trying to sprint we're, through this because we're trying to, we, we don't <laughs> want anybody to miss anything. Um But the We've talked about kind of some of the stuff that has to be going on, that should be going on internally to to the congregation, and, you know, our witness has to start there, right? That's the whole point. The congregation is our home base for witness, but there also has to be an active phase of witness that's going on where our convictions, our beliefs, our truth, the truth that we are stewards of is getting spread out there into the world, and we're to be the instruments of that, and so there are dozens hundreds of ways that churches can be active in witness in a way that supports the cause of life and we can't we're, we're not going to not going to tell you them yeah. you're going to have to make them up yourself yeah but <laughs> but for example um, you know like I said there's the sidewalk stuff right M- many of you live in communities where that's where that's a, where that's an option and i can tell you it's not always fun it's almost never fun it's no. it's <laughs> sometime, some years uh, some years i'll be like Oh, no, oh, we got to sign up again, don't we? But you go. And it's important. And people see us there and are reminded that this is not, that while there may be a cultural consensus in favor of, of you know, abortion and, and commodification. So people thank
5: you for being there. It's absolutely. Not, it's not, yeah. but,
6: the, but it's important that we show, for, show that, it's not a not, that it's not unanimous right there's sometimes it's a, sometimes god works with the remnant and we i think we're entering a moment where in many ways that's us sure so that's a thing i would argue that every congregation that considers itself to be pro life should be engaged in a supportive relationship with at least one crisis pregnancy center i guarantee you there's one nearby and i guarantee you they'd be more than happy to have have more support than they have both in terms of whether it's in terms of financial support or part- volunteer participation or even just referral.
5: invite them to talk in church. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we invite we invite every uh, all the in, in my own congregation, all the outside organizations that are on our on our mission budget, we have we invite a representative of each one and that's the, the be- that's easy because I'm not pushing this. We're just inviting the people that we support, right? Mm -hmm. Here we go. And they'll talk. And that's great.
2: And the needs are many. The needs are, you know, the financial needs, but the needs are also for people to just come alongside some of these women, either the women who are choosing to carry, the women who are choosing not to carry, to adopt or to keep they need support. And I did
5: mention your 80 year
2: old. Well, my, I, I was saying in the back earlier, um, and actually she wasn't 80, she was 90,
5: 90, 90
2: something. I've felt about it after that. I had a 90 year old in my previous congregation. She has since gone to be with the Lord, but she was living with the pain of having had an abortion because she got pregnant before she got married and she and her husband were married for, Eighty something year. Well, not that long. <laughs>
6: <laughs> the saying, hang oh, on. Oh, Eight hundred. Oh, oh. their,
2: their whole yeah. life. Their, their lives. Um, and her daughter was my clerk. Her daughter was a almost a seventy-eight-year-old my clerk. But she was the second child because they had aborted their first. And you don't know. Estelle lived with that pain her entire life yeah, so don't assume yeah. that it's just the 20 year olds
5: no no it's 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 a whole lot more it's a whole lot more than you think you know, also guys uh, there that you will run to men who um, you know guy got his girlfriend pregnant in college she had an abortion didn't tell him things like that um, or he pressured her to and is living with that guilt um, that's also a need Um,
6: it's just so many. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what we want to do is we want to leave at least a little time so that that means like, now. Yeah, like we said, <laughs> we don't have, we don't, we don't pretend to have have all, all kinds of answers or a defined program for what churches should be doing. But uh, one thing, and then but here's the thing: whether we have been staunchly and prayerfully working in the pro-life cause for decades or not we have all in one way or another been resting on roe v wade yep we have all there's been an always been a sense that ultimately really what can we do there's nothing to be done about it in the large scale and that looks like it's going to be over and that means two things one it means that it's time for us to go it's time for us to become active in ways that we haven't been. Because this is going to be a period of change. And change sometimes, you know, I hate to say this as a, you know, as a Presbyterian and or, you know, curmudgeon, but change is sometimes actually good, believe it or not. <laughs> but also, we have to be aware that the, the, this new environment, this new world that we're about to enter into, is going to bring home to us in ways that we are not used to, the reality of the opposition that we're going to that we continue to face, um, and you know that may even extend to as we see in places that may extend to one of the things your churches may have to start doing is have, taking another look at security. Um, it this is not you know this is not going to be a safe and easy road, but it's when is it ever? Right. So I think that's all that's all we've got. Right. We want to know what y'all what y'all think. What are you what are we doing? What should we be doing? You were first. Well,
7: I just wanted to offer a kind of a, a good pastor story on supporting a, a resource center, which our church does. Mother's Day to Father's Day, we participate in the Baby Bottle of the Moraine campaign Campaign. Mm-hmm. Which I have I fortunately have just recently been able to get on the board with. Well, anyway, for some reason, I guess donor fatigue—we just really weren't matching what we've done in the past. And Sunday, I told the pastor, I said, "Man, I'm just so disappointed in what we've got." He says, "Okay." Just before the benediction, he says, "Westminster, you're not doing it. You got to step up." And he just kind of. Started laying on them and I collected the baby bottles at the end of the service and everything. He had gotten us about a thousand dollars, just like that. And so I texted him later in the day and said, Exalted Shamer and chamber, chamber Chief, you've done an excellent huh? job. And so it you know, it kind of turned the campaign around and when I get home, I already know, I've been told there's bottles and checks and things sitting there. Sometimes it just takes that little extra effort. And uh, we, we support them out of our benevolence budget, but this is just the yeah. extra problem. The,
6: the spirit is willing and ready to step up our and act when about we ask.
8: Time, uh, about the subject, Sir. In addressing this issue, it seems like we're put, trying to put the band-aid on.
0: We're trying to what? Put the
8: band-aid on. And we're trying to fix the problem after it's been created. Well, we are. We are. Well, okay. And and, and and okay. I'm good with that. We we need to do that part. You got to heal the wounds. What can? What are people doing to to educate our youth and our young people to understand the sanctity of life? I mean, you look at all the situations that are occurring with. Gun violence and um, uh, you know just gang violence and things like that. A lot of this is due to the fact that our our, our young people aren't being trained in the sanctity of life any longer. I neither would are say people.
2: Neither our <laughs> I would say that our culture no longer values life, and that is our young people are just eating what we have been feeding them, the, um, consumer society, the, um, everything is about me. Um, and porn, Porn. which objectifies people, Mm -hmm. um, the game violence, it's out there in our culture. So death, I mean, what did he say? Your, uh, news media is discipling you. Our kids are being discipled that life is cheap.
5: That goes back to the to Matt's point that um, that this has to be a consistent and broad consistent. spectrum message of our churches uh, and of uh, uh, us as as individual Christians. Um, that 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 it, it, it's a it's a it is a broad spectrum issue. You you are you are teaching people that human life is good. And,
3: and you touched on it that this right to die or all those laws that are coming. I mean that is it's
4: all the it's same. same message. It is. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It's not all
5: true. It's not, it's not, you you can't, you can't separate any of those things. No, but you don't have, that's, that's the nice thing. You don't have to. You, 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 what, what is it that we're teaching? We're teaching that human beings are valuable And at, at every point and every place.
2: And it's the message of scripture. And if we teach the positive message of scripture, Yes, I'm going to speak against abortion. But what I'm primarily going to speak to is God created mankind in his image. Everyone out there bears the image of God. Everyone out there has dignity and worth. And that goes, that is an argument against abortion. That is an argument against porn. That Murder. is an argument against violence.
4: <laughs> so years ago when I was, I was in the PCUSA and I was went to General Assembly back in the 90s, yeah, they used to put you on a committee. You know, they put you on a committee. I'm sorry. I, the committee I didn't want to be on was the Health and Social Issues Committee because they're going to deal with all this abortion stuff, right? And I was a Christian, but I was pretty much ambivalent about the, about the topic. But I also wanted to go in there and decide things intelligently. So I looked at the pro-choice movement, which the PCUSA was really very happy to send me all their, their, their apologetic for that. But I also went to Presbyterian Pro-Life and looked at theirs. And to your point. They have such great scriptural based uh, materials that draw you to this, uh, the sanctity of life and what the scripture says about it changed my whole perspective just by reading that material. And so God's word does do this and when it's, it's preached and taught mm-hmm. to them. And uh, so I would expose your congregation to that. You let God's word do
6: yeah. the work. Can, That's can, what we have that show. the other side doesn't have. Right? Right?
0: Yeah, if, if you go to the PPO, I don't know why it's not showing up on here, but if you go to the mysteries PPO of PPO website, ppo.org, um, and then go to resources, there are, uh, I can't get it to stay up, there are a lot of resources listed, including things for As if she um, had it on worship yeah. services. <laughs> resources as far as all this background information and so on so take some time go and explore what's there yeah we got a table out here but it doesn't have half the stuff that's on the website
6: all right well folks we got to let you go but andy's going to close us in prayer am i now yes you are that's fine you
3: volunteered us we can volunteer that's
0: right (laughs)
5: I did, I did kind of. <laughs> Let's I don't
0: using this room. Let's pray.
5: Almighty God, Lord, we we thank you that you have loved us, poor sinners with such great love and, and poured out your mercy upon us, and we pray that you would allow us to seek mercy for others, Lord, that you would teach us day by day the value of those that you send to us, the people around us, uh, that you would show us in them uh, your glory, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would equip us and strengthen us to stand up against the evils of abortion and euthanasia, and uh, Lord, sexual morality and and all the rest, uh, that you would make us bold, that you would keep us from harm, and that you would use us uh, as witnesses to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.